You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. A few years back, I uh, attended a funeral for my grandpa, Ed. Uh, He lived in Dallas, Texas, and my grandpa was one of those people that wanted to have the best of everything in every part of his life. He wanted to have the most pristine and immaculate things. This was true when, for instance, he'd go to a restaurant. He'd make sure to order the best possible steak, the best scotch. He was a big scotch guy, loved good meals, and he made sure to get the best of those things. Whenever he'd go and buy a car, he'd always get upsold on those like meaningless add-ons that aren't really important, but he wanted to make sure that the car he drove was the best possible version of that car. And when a new model came out or a new feature came out, he would We'll get that new one and sell the other one. So he's always rotating cars in and out of his garage. He'd even do this in his outfits. He'd have cowboy hats that he'd wear. He was a cowboy at heart. He'd curl the brim just right. He'd press his shirts and his pants just right. He'd make sure his boots were shined. This dude wanted everything immaculate. And as he was nearing death, he had an opportunity to give some insight onto what he'd like his funeral and his uh, casket and his uh, burial spot to look like. And sure enough, he made sure that the best was there not only in life but in death. I still remember the day of the funeral, they were dropping the casket down into the ground, and it was incredible. It was beautifully stained wood, gold trim, gold handles. They may have been shaped like revolvers, if I remember right, as well, because the cowboy in him just wanted to to make sure that that stuck with him. And he made sure that the place that the casket was actually placed into the ground is placed in the ground. It's still there. It's, It's not just was. It is in the ground right now. It's in an incredible cemetery, one of the most beautiful cemeteries I've ever seen. Things really are bigger in Texas, and this cemetery was gigantic. Green grass everywhere, trees and fountains, a bunch of staff to maintain this immaculate space. And I remember that funeral so clearly because of this. I remember because he put so much effort into the detail on putting together this pristine ceremony. And after the ceremony, after his casket had gone into the ground, I decided, because of how beautiful this cemetery was, to hang out for a little bit, which tells you a lot about my personality. I like to spend time in graveyards, so really a thrill-seeker through and through. Uh, but I do, I do recommend it, you guys. It's actually a really powerful spiritual experience walking around a graveyard and reflecting on life. And uh, on this particular walk, I remember looking at some of the gravestones around me, and the first thing that I noticed was the, or were the, the dates on each of the gravestones, the birth dates and the death dates. And I started to do some mental math to see what the longest life lived was amongst all of these gravestones I was walking around. So I'd see like 74 and... 82, 96, amazing, 34, sucks for that guy, right? Like whatever the the situation was. But eventually I got tired of doing math and I shifted my attention away from from the dates to the dash in between the dates. Every single gravestone had a, a dash in between. And I started to realize that independent of how long those lives were lived, independent of the years listed on the gravestone, there were entire stories, entire lives summed up in that little symbol. These people lived years, and it was summed up in a little dash. And the truth of who they were, the truth of their lives, wasn't found in the length of time they lived. It was found in what their dash listed up. And that sent me into some reflection on my grandfather's life because we just had this ceremony and on the lives of all these people that I had no clue about, right? Made me ask myself a couple questions. One, what is my story? What's my dash? And two, what do I want my story to be? What is my story 
And what do I want my story to be? We're continuing in a sermon series here at Midtown called Dependence. We're looking at the book of the Psalms. It's this ancient collection of poetry that's smack dab right in the middle of our Bibles. And we're connecting these poems, these ancient poems, to Christian songs or hymns that we've sung for a long time. And what we learn from these poems is that we are fundamentally, as human beings, dependent people. We are dependent at the very core of who we are. And that when we remember that dependence and we practice that dependence in bringing ourselves fully before God in poetry and expression and prayer, we find that he starts to reshape our stories. He starts to form our stories into life and joy and peace in the middle of a broken world. And today, uh, we're going to explore Psalm 107. And we learn from this psalm that uh, it's really important, friends, to tell our stories and tell what God has done in our stories, and then to reflect on what we want God to continue to do in our stories. So uh, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to open it with me. I'm going to invite you guys, actually, today uh, to do something a little bit different, though. Leave your Bibles open uh, for when we actually explore the stories here, but This psalm is a long one. It's 32 verses. And I want to make sure that we accurately and fully realize the depth of the imagery that's used here. The psalms are supposed to shape our imaginations as we read them. And I know sometimes when you're looking at a page with small words, you can kind of miss some of the images that are used. So I'm going to invite you guys, as I read it aloud, just to listen, just to hear. Don't follow along in your Bible. You can close your eyes if you're comfortable. If you're not, that's okay. But listen really deeply to the images the psalmist is using here. Pay attention to which ones strike you, which ones stick out to you. They might just have something to say to your life right now. This is Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached an inhabited town. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and the hungry he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in gloom, prisoners in misery and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Their hearts were bowed down with hard labor. They fell down with no one to help. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of their darkness and gloom and broke their bonds asunder. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were sick through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities endured affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. And let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. And some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the mighty waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. 
For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths, and their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And then they were glad because they had quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a famous author named James Joyce. He uh, is considered by many literary critics to be the greatest novelist that ever lived. And James Joyce had a famous phrase that he uh, used to kind of guide all of his work. He said this in his life. In the particular is contained the universal. In the particular is contained the universal. What he's functionally saying there is that when we as humans tell particular stories, specific stories of specific people in specific situations, it has the power to speak to universal themes in our humanity. In knowing really intimately the, the inner workings of someone else's life, you can actually learn a lot of commonality you have. It's certainly a unique story and separate from us, but it also has a lot of sameness in us. And that's why this principle is why certain movies and books affect us in the way they do. Because we're getting a particular story, and that particular story is speaking to our story in one way or another. That's why we love books and movies about wizards that have nothing to do with our lives about hobbits that have nothing to do with a lot, superheroes and talking animals. We love all those stories. It's because they're giving us a particular expression and we're able to connect our lives to it. And that's exactly what the psalmist is doing here in Psalm 107. He's using poetry to tell four stories, four specific stories that are particularly true for the folks in Israel at the time, resonant for them in their day. And he tells those stories in order to articulate what God has been up to in the midst of them. Scholars seem to think this psalm would have been read aloud by a leader of a congregation, similar to this here. He would have been encouraging people to practice gratitude to God for the ways that he's brought them out of distress and harm and pain. And this was real distress and harm and pain, debt, oppression, poverty, the ways that God had delivered them from all those things. In other words, what he's doing here is using four stories from the past in the nation of Israel, telling those to the congregation in order to prompt them to examine God's work in their own lives today. He's saying, look at the dashes of the past and examine your dash in light of those dashes. And now, in 2022, we get to participate in the same kind of thing. We get to hear four particular stories of what God has been up to in the life of Israel, and then we get to examine what that means for our stories. And regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, there's something to learn here based upon an examination of your story and based on what you want your story to be. So for those of you that already would say you follow God, hearing these stories reminds us of the importance of expressing what God has done for us, to telling that to ourselves and telling that to people around us. The author is saying, pay close attention to what God has been doing in your life and through your life. Pause, reflect, spend time examining God's work, the ways he's freed you, the ways he's provided for you. The psalm is teaching us to ask ourselves, what is our story? But for those of us who may be in a spell of doubt, 
and a spell of confusion or difficulty or trouble at, when it comes to following God, this psalm is also saying something to us. It's encouraging us to hear what God has done in other stories and then examine what that might mean for us. To re-examine our stories and see where God may have been at work in ways that we missed previously, in ways we ignored previously. And so the psalm is teaching us to ask, what do you want your story to be? So let's dig into the four stories that the psalmist tells here. The first story that he gives us is the story of the wanderer. This is right away after the first few verses introduce things. He tells us about a person who's wandering in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town. They're hungry, they're thirsty, and their soul faints within them. Now, he's certainly speaking to a specific, to a particular circumstance in the life of Israel. Israel was well acquainted with wandering the desert. If you haven't understood those stories or read those stories, the first five books of the Bible are all about them. How Israel wandered around in the desert, hungry and thirsty, looking for life. And so he's certainly talking about a particular circumstance. But he's also speaking to something bigger. Did you notice he didn't just talk about physical thirst? He said their soul fainted within them. The author is describing people who wander in search of deep satisfaction, in search of deep life in their souls, deep meaning and significance. And that sort of wandering is something that every single one of us are aware of. Whether or not we've wandered around a desert for 40 years, which I know sometimes summer in Phoenix can feel like 40 years, right? Whether or not we live in a desert, we can acknowledge the desert of wandering, searching for meaning in our souls. In fact, this is so common that there's actually a, a trend now in psychology to start to come up with terms or words to describe this longing. Some psychologists have started to use a German word. It's called the Sehnsucht, which is really fun to say. I'm going to invite you to say it with me right now. One, two, three. Sehnsucht. Yeah, you got to get the in the back of your throat. Really capitalize. Sehnsucht. Sehnsucht is this deep inner longing that all of us experience and that we can never quite fulfill. People can obtain everything they've ever sought in their life. And upon grasping those things, it slips through their fingers like vapor, like sand. It doesn't satisfy them in the way that they thought. And on the other side of getting those things, they feel a sense of incompleteness, of insufficiency in one way or another. There's a guy some of you may know. Uh, his name's Pete Doctor. He's a, an animator and writer for uh, a little company called Pixar. You may have heard of them. He has committed decades of his life to becoming really, really good at his craft. And earlier this century, he actually reached the peak of his field. Uh, he made a movie called Inside Out. Anybody familiar? Yeah? A few of you guys? A, a major, major motion picture. It was something that affected our whole culture. People love this movie to this day. And he won an Oscar for that movie, which is peak success when it comes to movie making. It was what he had strived for his entire life. And he talks about how when he held that Oscar, he felt like it didn't satisfy him in the way he thought. That it didn't actually fulfill him. That obtaining this thing, the peak of his career, it never really satisfied this deep inner longing for life in him. And that actually is what led to his next movie that he made called Soul another Pixar movie. It inspired the writing of that movie. And it's all about a man who gets everything he wants and realizes, I'm not satisfied. Sehnsucht. This longing in us that we can't seem to satisfy. And friends, that longing is not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes we think that, well, we're longing for things and that makes those things bad, right? That we should just shun our desire. This is an, uh, often an, an Eastern way of approaching desire. In Buddhism and Hinduism, the idea is to overcome your desire because those things are enslaving you. 
But your desires and longings are not bad, friends. Making good art, being in a good relationship, seeking a career that's satisfying, those are good longings, good desires. The reason that we feel unsatisfied when we get those things is because we've made them ultimate things. We've made good things into ultimate things. When we seek eternal and complete satisfaction in things that are not eternal and complete, they're always going to fail us. And eventually, one of two things happens, right? When we make a good thing an ultimate thing, one of two things happens. One, the thing crumbles under the weight of what we've placed upon it, right? The relationship that we said was going to satisfy us eventually annoys us or eventually doesn't become satisfactory. So we think, I need another relationship, right? Or I need a form of another relationship. This career, like I, I like what I'm doing, but I, I feel like I just might need to climb a little bit higher to get that real satisfaction. One Oscar's great, but three Oscars. That's really what's going to get it for me, right? We become slaves to this. We're enslaved to the chase, always trying to fill ourselves with more. Those desires aren't bad, but when we make them ultimate desires, they'll always let us down. There's a, a famous quote from a guy named John D. Rockefeller. He's one of the richest men who ever lived. And he was asked by an interviewer at one point in his life, how much money do you think is enough? Like, when do you think you've gotten enough? And his response was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. The things of this world are not made to satisfy us eternally. We have an eternal longing for satisfaction that temporal things can't satisfy. And when we seek those things over and over, we remain thirsty in a desert, wandering. So what is it for you this morning? What are you thirsty The second story that the psalmist tells here is the story of someone who's trapped. These are people who sat in darkness, prisoners in irons, for they rebelled against the words of God. And once again, he's talking about a very particular situation, a specific situation in the life of Israel. This was a country that was called by God to be a people of his love and grace to the world, to partner with him in cultivating goodness and life. And they said, cool, thanks, no thanks, we're going to do our own thing. And over and over, they did exactly the opposite of what God called them to do. They oppressed the poor rather than caring for the poor. They overlooked the refugee and the immigrant. They gave meaningless sacrifices and cursed God instead of loving God. And when that happened, they were taken into literal bondage. They were overcome by another empire called Babylon, and they were taken out of their country in chains. And so he's speaking to a real experience of prison for these people, but the imagery isn't just true for Israel. The psalmist, again, is describing a bigger human condition. That when we choose to live lives that are defined by our own pursuits rather than defined by the life that God has given us, we will always end up in chains to those things. Those things will bind us, enslave us. We'll become slaves to guilt and shame or to just sin consisting over and over in our lives. This is true of people who harbor resentment instead of choose to forgive, right? They become imprisoned by bitterness and anger. People who steal instead of practicing generosity, they become consumed by their, by their greed. Folks who lie instead of telling the truth, they become trapped in a pit of their own deception over and over. They have to keep digging to maintain the lie. Folks who lust instead of love, eventually what they find is that they're not able to feel real intimacy, real depth of relationship. The truth is, friends, we know the prison of a life that betrays God. We know it. We experience it. We get trapped by shame and guilt and sin all the time in our lives, and it feels like we can't be overcome. So what is it for you? What do you feel like is trapping you right now in your life? The psalmist continues on to a third story. He talks about the sick 
These are people who were sick through their sinful ways. Because their iniquities, they endured affliction. Once again, he's talking particularly to Israel. He's talking about people who have made unwise decisions in their life based on the wisdom of God and therefore have brought unhealth into their life in one way or another. They become sick by the decisions that they've made. And there's actually a whole book of wisdom uh, in this scripture. It's actually just adjacent to the Psalms. It's called the Proverbs. And the Proverbs teach all about how to make wise decisions in your life, how to place God at the center of your life and allow his wisdom to fuel you. And these people who are sick and unhealthy they're that way because they've chosen not to. They've taken on practices that are unhealthy. Now, it's not saying that every time you do the right thing, it will lead to great success for you, right? This isn't prescriptive. It's more descriptive. It's describing that there's a tendency that when we betray the life that God has for us and the wisdom God has for us in our decision-making, what's going to lead us into unhealth, by and large. And we know the consequences of unwise decisions in our lives all the time. Substance abuse, addiction, unhealthy eating, habits, relationships that we keep pursuing that we know we shouldn't, but we stay in them for too long. Lack of wisdom in our lives is prevalent all over. It's subtle, but over the course of time, it ends up producing real unhealth in us, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So what is it for you? Friend? What right now is making you sick in one way or another? And finally, the fourth story that the psalmist tells. He speaks of the overwhelmed these are people who went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters and then a stormy wind rises up and they go down to the depths. Their courage melts away. They're staggering around like drunk people. They're at their wits end. They don't know what to do. Once again, in the ancient world, this has a particular application. Right? These people knew the power of wind and waves and they would go out in these little boats and would know that they don't have control over anything. That at any point, a wave could sweep in and take them all out. It could happen easily and we aren't sailors, I don't think there's any sailors in this room. You're in the wrong place. There's not enough water here for you if, if you're a sailor. But we do know what it's like to feel overwhelmed in our lives. We know what it's like to feel like everything is just a storm, wave upon wave hitting us over and over and over. There's a woman I know in my life. She married young, and she married a man uh, who ended up getting into gambling in some really unhealthy ways, and it actually threatened the life of her and her kids. And so she had to leave that man. She got married to another man who got cancer. And then that man's father also died shortly thereafter. So she married a third man who also got cancer. Wave upon wave upon wave in her life. This is what life does to us, friends. And each and every one of you bring in the remnants of the waves right now. I don't know what they are for each one of you, but I do know they exist. It is a wild ocean out there, always threatening to overwhelm us. So what is it for you? What feels overwhelming in your life right now? In each of these stories that the psalmist tells, they follow the same pattern. You may have heard the same phrases get uh, articulated over and over again. The wanderer, the trapped, the sick, and the overwhelmed, they all find themselves in death and despair, and then they all do the same thing. Did you catch that? The response in every story is the same thing. And the psalmist wants us to notice that. He says the same words verbatim for each of these people. They all say, that, or the text says, that they all cry to the Lord in their trouble. And every time they cry to the Lord in their trouble, the Lord's response is also the same. The psalmist repeats the same refrain, that God saves them from their distress. For the wanderer, the Lord leads them by a straight way until they reach a city to dwell in. He satisfies the deepest parts of their soul. As Augustine once said, our hearts are restless 
until they find rest in God. Friends, you have a desire for eternal life and satisfaction and love and meaning, and that desire is a good thing because it has its fulfillment in God, in knowing God and walking with God and living with God. And so when we call out in the midst of our deserts, in the midst of our thirsting for satisfaction, God responds. He meets us there. And so wherever you are thirsting today, God is here to meet you in it. For the traps, God breaks their bonds asunder. He cuts the bars of two in iron. Friends, whatever guilt, whatever sin, whatever shame is entrapping you, this is a promise that God longs to free you from it. That God has forgiveness waiting for you. That those things don't have to hem you in any longer. There is nothing that you can do or leave undone that God cannot forgive, that God cannot break you free from. For the sick here, God sends out his word and heals them. He delivers them from destruction. Whatever unwise decisions that you've brought into this place, I don't know what they are. Whatever unhealth you feel, whatever sickness you feel, friends, God is able to deliver you into life and healing and wholeness on the other side of it. When you cry out to him, he can deliver you there. And finally, for the overwhelmed, God makes the storm be still. He hushes the waves. He brings these people to their desired haven. And so whatever is weighing you down, whatever waves are crashing in upon you right now, God longs to calm them and give you peace in the midst of them. And here's what's perhaps most striking about the story of Christianity and the story of these scriptures, friends is that these claims are not wishful thinking. This is not some hopeful human poetry. God has actually done these things, these exact things in the scriptures and in history. In the mud and the sweat and the tears and the laughs of human existence, God has showed up and done all of these things in the person of Jesus. Did you catch that connection? The wanderer, the one who's thirsty in the middle of the desert. You guys remember the story of the Samaritan woman? She shows up in the heat of the day to a well to get water because she's thirsty. And what we find from their conversation is that she's not just physically thirsty. She's looking for satisfaction in her relationships. And she keeps cycling through relationship after relationship. And none of them have satisfied her. And Jesus shows up and says, I am here to give you real living water, real satisfaction. Draw near to me and you will have the thing that your soul longs for. He shows up for the wanderers. He shows up for the trapped too. Over and over again, Jesus breaks people out of their bondage to sin and death and decay. He eats with sinners. He welcomes them around the table, and he gives them a different identity than the world gives them. The world shuns them. The world rejects them. The world says that they're a failure, and Jesus says, no, you're forgiven, and this is a new life for you on the other side of this. He shows up for the sick. The blind, they can see with Jesus. The lame, they can walk with Jesus. The mute, they can speak with Jesus. The outcasts, they are welcomed with Jesus. And the overwhelmed, friends. We read this to start our time together. He literally was asleep in a boat that was rocking back and forth. The disciples said, do you care? And he's like, oh, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Why so little faith? God's like, I've got you. I'm with you. The God of this psalm is not far away. The God of this psalm is not loaded into some ancient text. The God of this psalm is alive right now. The God of this psalm is walking up and down these aisles, healing the wanderers and the trapped and the sick and the overwhelmed. He's doing that here and he's doing that out there right now. 
And so wherever you are, friends, today is a great day to call out to that God. He's waiting for you. For those of you that have already chosen to follow God in your life, who know what he's done, he's reminding you today, I got you, kid. I love you. I'm with you. And for those of you that are in the midst of doubt or pain or unsureness in your spiritual journey, God is here waiting for you waiting to step in and quench the thirst of your soul, waiting to forgive you, waiting to heal you, waiting to calm the storms of your life. God's writing a different story, friends, a story of joy and not distress, a story of hope and not despair, a story of love, not indifference, a story of life, not death. And so there's only two questions that we need to ask ourselves, the same two questions I asked on that day that my grandfather was buried. What's your story? And what do you want your story to be? Let's pray.